What's going on, everybody? Happy Monday, Ricker and Bond. Super cool episode. A lot of talk about finance, TV, a lot of Able. Really cool interview at the end. Matt Maximo, currently with Grayscale. Gonna hear a lot about cool stuff, money, and VC. Bonjour. Also, happy Martin Luther King Day. If you are at work or going to work, what are you doing? <laughs> it's a holiday. All right, enjoy the episode. Enjoy. Hot chili peppers, Bonjen. I Live love the red hot chili peppers. I don't really. <laughs> not for like 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 I'm kind of a poser. I only know them from a uh, guitar hero. Frushanti had a cool album. Unfortunately. Ricker and Bond, everybody. Happy Monday. Another episode. Uh we got a cool guest, Matt Maximo. How you doing, sir? Good guys. Thanks for having me. No problemo. No problem. Um, thanks everybody for listening. We got a really interesting uh interview today. Um, Matt Maximo of Grayscale, um, uh, which is a crypto asset manager with forty three point five billion dollars in assets. Well, that sure did it go up since then. You know do you know you know the cap off top, Max? Uh I think it's around thirty nine since the market dropped a little bit, but it, oh, it really? bounces between like thirty nine and fifty every few weeks. Can you give people a, a brief intro of you, how you got to today, uh, where you've been, what you think you're going to do? Yeah, so I, uh, I got into crypto. I used to be a big gamer when I was growing up. And uh, my friend and I were always scheming on how to like, uh, like World of Warcraft and things right, without having to go ask our parents. And um, it was eighth grade summer. My friend comes to me. He's like, hey, there's this new thing called Bitcoin. We just set up our computers at night and then we can buy game time with it. So I'm like, all right. Uh, we did that every night. We'd set up our laptops. We would mine. Um, you know, I kind of forgot about that Bitcoin. I think I spent some on like a Club Penguin membership for my sister and then, you know, forgot about what it was for the next five-ish years. Um, so fast forward to like college, um, you know, I'm working at a venture capital firm and um, I'm starting to hear about crypto again. And it's, you know, familiar enough. So it piques my interest. And I hear um and i hear that they invested in a couple crypto startups so my goal there was all right cool i'm into crypto i think it's kind of cool i'm gonna scheme so that these people hire me um and so i started learning about crypto in my free time chilling at the desk talking those guys up and um uh, i didn't end up working for them i ended up doing my own little little startup trying to do tickets as nfts um but packed that up with covid and then um you know left to do some tech consulting um was still kind of interested in crypto the whole time, you know, on Twitter, on 
whatever it is. Um, my friends and I started running an indexer for the graph just as like a little side project for fun. And then Shout out the graph. You know, I saw Grayscale was hiring. I uh, reached out and, you know, here we are. So talk about uh, the, the VC. What, what year did you work for a VC company? Uh, 2017 to 2019. And that was kind of out of college, you said? Yeah. So I was, I was interning during college, um, there. So, um, yeah, it was cool. Got a lot of cool exposure, got a lot, of, got to meet a lot of people, learned a lot of things. Um, but yeah, it was a cool experience. Thank you for mentioning club penguin. Cause in my opinion, that was peak internet. Um, God, what a time. <laughs> um, sorry, go for it, Ricker. I was going to say, uh, the beginning of my crypto stuff was also like, not investment based i was like i was using bitcoin allegedly for like sports gambling i didn't have like an investment mindset and so i was just doing like 20 dollar bets of like 0.05 in like 2017 and then you know kind of same thing where i kind of like didn't think about it for a few years until like yeah. 21 20. <laughs> uh so yeah you know, i mean a big reason i got into bitcoin or i got back into bitcoin was when we had to send the money over as crypto it was either crypto or western union western union charged crazy fees bitcoin was like three bucks and so what i did is i bought bitcoin about like two three hundred dollars by the time i sent the money bitcoin had gone up like 50 bucks so like course, made 50 bucks whatever this is interesting had a little bit of bitcoin left and that's kind of you know what piqued my interest again too so also yeah, a, lot of, a lot of avenues to get into crypto it's either you know virtual 2008 worlds of penguins sports gambling or alleged activities exactly what was the um uh, timeline after the well, did you were you into business going up to college i mean you kind of said you interned for a vc company um was that kind of like a new thing or were you kind of conditioned business through a kid in in uh -huh. high school and college or not that was kind of a new thing. So I was studying biology. I wanted to be a dentist. Um, and, you know, like junior year, I took, I, I took organic chemistry. Once I took organic chemistry, I was like, listen, guys, I'm not sticking around for another eight years. <laughs> it's just not happening. So I, uh, I finished the degree, but I just started taking like comp sci classes and um, spent most of my time focusing on my taking startup um, while working at the VC firm. So um yeah i just studied biology don't know how i ended up here but you know it, it actually that's that's actually an interesting point though because because you know we're hiring we're, we're hiring right now for a research position and the whole industry is hiring for a ton of jobs whether it's engineering related or not and um you know i think a lot of people trying to break into the space have you know some some fears or whatever of not having the qualifications and, and honestly most people aren't qualified that try and come into crypto it's, it's very rare to find someone anyone with years of crypto experience and let's be honest most of the time that crypto experience isn't super legit right it's it's like oh i i did something that this company did something related to crypto right it's kind of embellishment which is you know typical in resumes um but the point is that like it, you got to look beyond that like so so it took me a little bit to realize that me spending four years learning biology was actually super helpful for a research job because as a biology student you spend all day in lab creating data, running experiments, and then you get that data in an Excel sheet and you make charts and you have to pull insights from those charts. And then you got to write reports on those charts, which is basically what we do as researchers, right? I, I look at the data available to me. I look at the trends, what's going on. I, I have a couple ideas. I test those out with some of the data, chart it, see what, see what it looks like. And then 
you know, I write some insights based on what I, what I picked up. So, um, you know, it's just one example from biology, but, um, yeah, I just think, I think, I think really what it is, is just like interest in, in that sense, not to go too deep on the rabbit hole, I guess, but like for people trying to get into crypto, it's really just like, are you interested? Are you, do you have like that curiosity? Um, are you like involved on Twitter or LinkedIn or whatever it is, right? Just showing that like, it's, it's, it's like actually like an interest or a passion, um, which I think was, was helpful for me just, just in most of the things that I tried to do. Yeah. I think finance is very, uh, data science basically. Um, and then, you know, coming from actually coming from like studying like nature and like biology and like organisms and things, mm -hmm. I think is probably an edge for a lot of people who are like getting into like finance. I think there's a lot of correlations between like nature cycles and, and money stuff. Yeah. Um, it's, but, it's a similar thought process, like way of thinking. Yeah. Can you talk, talk about research in general? What do you, what do you, what's your like day to day at, what are you researching? What's your, what's kind of your beat at Grayscale? Anything and everything. Um, you know, my job at Grayscale is probably one of the coolest out there. I, um, you know, there's tons of knowledgeable people in the company. Like we have probably like the best lawyers and the best finance guys. Like honestly, these guys are just so smart. Um, but like as, as the researcher at Grayscale, like I have the coolest job ever. I just get to research anything, everything I want. And I get to be like that crypto resource expert. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, like my day to day, I'll wake up, I'll, I'll scroll through Twitter as, as everyone does and read the newsletters that I get in the, in my inbox. And then, um, you know, it's, it's, I guess it's just a mix of like poking around our data sources, looking at some charts, seeing what's going on in the markets. And then, um, you know, I guess trying to be creative with that. Um, so do like teams come to you and be like, Hey, explain this to us. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll, I'll do, I'll do like, like crypto teachings or just like chat and learns, uh, every week or so, um, where people only come, we'll just like chit chat and talk about NFTs or, um, Jack Dorsey and his, his crusade against VCs and, you know, anything that kind of comes up. How would you explain, uh, the metaverse to a beginner, someone that's just like, doesn't get it. Um, ooh, that's a tough one. Yeah. So the metaverse is, is basically just it, it, the metaverse is like where digital experiences take place. I think that's kind of a phrase we've been using a lot as a, as a company. Um, and and what that means is just i'm i'm a person in my daily life i want to go do something play video games listen to music something that involves a digital activity like a digital medium and i go use it right so so to that point we have a metaverse right now like the metaverse exists world of warcraft is a metaverse in itself club penguin was a metaverse they just suck right so so this this whole like concept of metaverse today that we hear about like like the you know the popular term is 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 more forward looking it's it's like the digital worlds or games or experiences that we have but in the future and and it's meant to mimic things that we have right now so like if i show up to a meeting or i log into a game right now those items i i don't own i have no say over them really um but maybe the idea is i log into my zoom meeting or i log into my game and now i own that like sword or that shirt that i'm wearing which makes it feel more realistic, right? Like I go to my meeting in, at, at Grayscale in person and I'm wearing my clothes. And if someone tries to steal my clothes, there's the government that enforces that. But in the digital world, that doesn't really exist. So I think the idea is just, you know, integrating that. So when I go to these digital experiences, I own the stuff. And now the government that's enforcing that I own the stuff is the blockchain, right? 
Um, so, you know, long way to go. Um, I guess it's kind of a longer answer too. Um, but that was good. That was, yeah, <laughs> that was, incredible. but yeah, it's, it's, it's just, it's a weird concept. Um, they've branded the internet as a thing, as a product. <laughs> it, yeah. the, the internet that has been going on for a while, the sans digital ownership has been yes. the metaphor, <laughs> but in the future, you know, AR, XR, VR, cool stuff. I can see in front of me without classes. Yeah. So I think, uh, what's his name? Sean Curry, a pretty famous guy on Twitter. He had a great little thread that was like, you know, the metaverse is, isn't really anything. It's, it's a time, it's time period. It's, it's, you know, the, the next 10, 20 years when, when, you know, these digital experiences become a little more authentic in, in whatever way that, that, that manifests itself. Right. Yeah. True. What are your thoughts on traditional finance in the future? going into more DeFi? Um, I mean, I think it'll become blended yeah. in the future. I think the only reason right now it's not, and it's so f separated is just regulation, uh, regulatory reasons. Um, because there's a lot, I mean, there's a lot of great things that crypto has, has drawn from traditional finance in terms of like market structures, products, businesses, right? Like Uniswap, Compound, those are nothing new. Those are just rebuilt systems that we have centralized centrally um but then the flip can also be said so like a lot of these centralized companies can can learn from these DeFi platforms or actually just like like benefit from them i mean how many employees could coinbase i guess cut and that sounds bad but like how much more efficient i guess could coinbase be if they had a lot of their protocols running like like look at ftx versus coinbase ftx has a i think like a hybrid on-chain infrastructure um, that essentially allows them to have real-time data, real-time settlement and, and provide data for free. Right. And I think they have like four engineers in total. That's like, and these dudes are, are just, I, I want to meet, I want like a documentary on these guys because it's, they it's must very... be the most insane engineers ever. Like they're, they're putting out so much building so much do like creating so many good features so quickly. And it's, it's absurd with, with like such a small team. And I think the point is that that leveraging some of these like open networks, um, you know, secure networks can actually help a lot. I mean, like look at banks, right? Like Bitcoin versus banks. The only reason banks have so many employees and there are so many regulatory bodies around them and it's so cumbersome is because it's just a CSV in their database that anyone, like I can go give myself a billion dollars if I wanted to at JP Morgan or at Jace, right? Um, and so you have to have all these regu regulations around it to protect that. But mm. You know, with crypto, with decentralized open networks, like you, you don't, you can be much more efficient, and so that leaves room for employees or people, you know, like to cut employees to go do something cool. Um, there's this, there's this book by um, Jeremy Rifkin. He's uh, like an economist. Um, he says that that human pr productivity peaked in 1997-ish, which is to say that like all these apps on the iPhones and whatever that come out for like productivity really, really don't help you much. Um, and, and I think cryptos is a great way to like push us, push us beyond that. I mean, you look at like Uniswap, Uniswap Labs is doing more volume than Coinbase sometimes. They have like what, 20 employees. Um, you know, I think it's just the nature, nature, and nature of how efficient these systems can be. So it's really exciting. Okay. I'm trying to understand this. So because Coinbase is kind of pretty centralized, that's why it has, has to have so many employees for like security reasons. Yeah, I mean, all of their order books are are just a database. It's probably in AWS, which means like 
so so yeah okay so so it, the reason coinbase can do like free trades right or, or or you know offset eth fees or not have to charge you eth fees is because if i go buy eth and sell eth and swap it for bitcoin or do whatever in the coinbase app none of that happens on chain that just happens in their own database which is free and you know it makes sense to do it that way but it's their own ledger um and so because of that, they have to have not, not only do they have to have employees around that control systems, reporting audits, but then they have to have other companies and other regulatory agencies and everything checking on that, right? Whereas Uniswap is just a development company that builds a protocol and then the protocol deploys on chain and they're done with it. The, the protocol on chain processes the data, deals with it, with it, employee or users and everything. But ultimately, like Uniswap Labs isn't processing that data or holding it. They're just deploying the code that understands that data, mm. right? So the, so, so the Uniswap app doesn't feed data back to a, to a database that the guys at Uniswap can just search, export, whatever, right? That doesn't happen. Whereas at Coinbase, everything that we do dumps into an Excel sheet on their backend, more or less. I see. So we are really seeing the efficiency of the compu of, of computer power kind of overtake. Yeah. It's like, it's like trustless data and immutable yeah. data or immutability, which makes the data trustless, right? Which is a lot of big, big buzzwords, but you don't, you don't have to have humans watching over things when you have yeah. code watching over things. Yeah. It's like, if we pulled money together, right. And then we just gave it all to John, like, like you and I are probably going to want to like, be like, yo, like John, like. How's the, how's the money pile doing, right? And like, those are checks that we got to do as opposed to just having a system that we all trust that keeps track of every transaction we do, right? which is Bitcoin. There was an analogy that I think Gavin Wood had about where Web2 went wrong or what it out, outdid itself for was where, you know, in the past you had little villages and humans had to uh, have checks and balances. If you make like uh, bad trades, then you get run out of town. So people are scared of doing bad trades. Um, and then, you know, you had institutions come in where they regulate those bad trades. Um, and then you're supposed to trust those institutions. And you kind of see that next wave of, well, institutions are a little bit inefficient as we go into the future. And we can make things a lot more efficient if we build things with computer technology. Yeah, exactly. I mean, then you, then you like, if you didn't look at who's working at these institutions, whether it's like a government institution or like a big four audit company, all the big, any work done at a big four company, especially like auditors is all done by like entry level 22 to 25 year olds, right? Which are fresh out of college, but they're the analysts doing the work. And then on the flip side, it's just normal people at like the SEC, right? So, so like these institutions, you're supposed to trust them. But also if you look, it's just normal people. Yeah. So well, a lot of people yeah. haven't seen, I think that's where maybe VC areas or, you know, even financial areas of, of work and like study once you kind of get behind the doors of what is supposed to be like, hey, these are big things that you don't understand and, and you don't have to because we got it, so everything is cool. It gives a little bit of peace for like the rest of society. And then when you kind of go behind and see like, these are people just making things, even if it is a little tech-based or hard, and you're like, hey, what's, are you guys good? Can you guys do this? Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, at least for like, I think for me, I had this impression that all of these you know, agencies, big name, whatever, were like super strict, had, had reasons for everything. Nah, you just kind of do stuff to see if it works. That's it. Which is, which I think is why like, you know, decentralized protocols are great because you abstract all of the trust and ambiguity 
and you just write it in code. Like, like the, the simplest way, I don't know if you guys know how to code, but when I learned how to code for me, it was like, it was like eye opening because it was like, okay, you, you essentially tell like a, a three-year-old how to accomplish a task, like walk to the kitchen, open the cabinet, grab the, 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 the paper towels, grab the, the, the spray bottle spray, right? Like you have to say every single step, but once you say every single step, it's good. Like you just, you just press play and keep doing it. Um, when did you I start think- get- when did you start getting into code? Um, college. I, I finished my like biology degree a little bit early. So I just finished all my requirements with, with coding classes. There was only like two or three. Um, but yeah. Um, um, go for it. What are you coding now? What would you suggest uh, for people if they didn't know how to code going in the future? What, what, what should they learn? I would just say Python because it's, it's pretty easy. It's, it's basically a calculator that understands words. Um, and then it's fun. Like, like for me, I think what was super great was coming from like biology. I, I would spend 12 hours a day studying organic chemistry and making molecules. Right. Which then I go home and I'm like, all right, that sucked. Or I go spend like two hours, three hours in class learning how to code. And then I can go home and, and make like a little calculator or something that might make my life easier. So. You got um, any pre- pre- predictive things I can use for stocks or what? <laughs> No, unfortunately not. I wish. Okay. All right. Yeah. I'm not much of a I'm not much of a gambler to be honest. I uh, oh, that's that's where probabilities come in. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I'm not I'm not much of a trader lately. I um, you know, everything's just so exciting and new that I just kind of like buying stuff, holding it for a year or two, and just seeing what happens. That's At this point, that. seeing things go to zero is sometimes just as exciting as seeing things go you, up. So. Your, your chemistry in the brain still probably triggers something. Yeah. <laughs> say something oh yeah there's an imbalance there for sure i was gonna ask your opinion on bitcoin and um what do you think the future of it is i know that's kind of a broad question but i guess to to narrow it down like do you think it's money do you think it's property do you think it's just always going to exist do you think it's going to lose popularity what do you think Oh man, this is gonna this is gonna make some people mad. Probably, I got into it with some with some maxis on Twitter a little bit ago. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I think I think Bitcoin is a digital commodity, and that's great. Um, we need that. I think it's solved and proved a lot of things for the industry. My view is that the first blockchain even the second blockchain is not going to be the only blockchain that's ever used. Right. Um, it's kind of silly to think that. Yeah. And that was exactly what I said. Um, like the, and there's a, there's a lot of things that need a lot of different uses. Absolutely. Absolutely. And like, like Satoshi, right. He could be a God. He could also be a normal person. And my bet is that he was a normal person and he experimented based off of other people's previous experiments and his experiment was successful. Right. And we learned amazing things from that. We learned um, the importance of decentralization. We learned how to build trustless networks. We learned how to incentivize those networks. We learned, um, you know, we learned like like the different nuances of technical architecture. So, so to that point, I think Bitcoin is a digital commodity, and I think that's great. And I think it's a great store of value. And I think, you know, like like relating it to gold, it's. You know, people say like, what's the inherent value of Bitcoin versus gold? Well, it's, it's that it's digital. Like 82% of digital of, of, of Americans are, are making digital payments, right? Like there's what, like 11 to 15% that don't even leave their house with a physical wallet anymore. Um, 
And the point to that is just the world's becoming increasingly digital, whether it's payments, activities, school, like, like, you know, and and so we need digital stores of value. We need stores of value that are compatible with the internet and that, that mimic the similar properties as like physical items, which is ownership. So, so to that point, I think, you know, Bitcoin's a, a commodity. I think it's great. I think it will always probably be, you know, one or two in terms of the largest assets. Um, but then that said, I think, I think it has its limitations, right? Like the, the, the UTXO architecture makes it great for moving and tracking coins, but not necessarily like account balances. And so Ethereum was the next innovation off of that. It was cool. We've got this really great chain, decentralization, proof of work, whatever it is, worked really well, but it's missing, you know, um, some, um, capabilities here and here and here. Right. And so that's what they did. And now Ethereum, you know, proved decentralized network with smart contract architecture, let people build on top of that. But the cost of security and decentralization is expensive. So now we had Solana Avalanche, Near, whatever, right? Phantom. And those all did super well um, because they iterated on that and said, okay, great. We've decentralization, incentivizing decentralization. We figured that out. That's a, that we, we know how to do that. We know it works. Let's focus on the speed and cost, right? So, you know, eventually Solana Avalanche and these guys will, will, will catch up on the decentralization. I just like to say that's a spectrum. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, ultimately, I think, I think the ecosystem is going to keep developing. And, and whether it's a layer one, a layer two, whatever we call them, ultimately, I just call them application layers. Um, you know, we'll keep having more based on the use cases. And, and then the other thing, too, is there's, what, seven, eight billion people on this earth? We can't have all that traffic on one chain. So it's, it's not only eight billion people, it's, it, it's hundreds of millions of IoT devices and whatever it is, right? Uh, applications, so. Um, you, you brought up VC, Jack, and Dreesen talking about uh, kind of decentralization and, and VCs. Did you have a, an opinion on what they were talking about? Yeah, who owns Web3? <laughs> Who's the real owner? <laughs> I mean, I, I tend to agree that it's not as decentralized as people want it to be. It's, it's, it's absolutely. Still- I think. I think. Here's my hot take. I think proof of stake is only in existence because people are sick of talking about the energy debate. Um, because let's be honest here: proof of stake fundamentally incentivizes or favors the wealthy in that system, right? The amount of asset or token you hold directly influences your ability to earn more. Um, And I think people understand that, people know it. I just think in large part, we're we're kind of glossing over that just because it makes it more investable for VCs or for, yeah, or just for users who don't really understand too much. so to that point, VCs do own a lot of Web3. I think I saw someone point out the nuance that like a lot of VCs are funded by pensions and universities and stuff, which is true. Granted, those, those LPs don't have a voice in their big, investment big direction. Way. Yeah. But um, also the thing is, though, it's just necessary. It's a necessary evil. Like we need money somewhere. Like, like builders need to, need to eat, right? And, and the reality is that most of these guys you know, can't just fund themselves for two, three years on a whim and spend all their money. And at least it's just, it's just tough to do so. So 
I think VCs are VCs are great. I think right now, you know, VCs might have gone a little little trigger happy with there's, there's also a lot of ammo to be trigger happy with right now that probably won't be too. in the future. That too. There's just so much ammo right now that that everyone's been getting millions and millions of dollars pretty easily. And um, you know, it was great for the space. I think I think what we might see happen actually is in the next couple of years now, after all these projects have, have been overwhelmingly overwhelmingly funded by VCs is we'll see new projects come and say, all right, we'll sell off 20%, 30%, 50% of our tokens, just like a set supply. And then to the VCs acknowledging that they do need to fundraise, but then making sure to split the rest of that token supply very evenly or as evenly as they can. Um, I think, I always, I, however, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I'll just say, however that manifests itself, I, I think we could see a shift of, of teams focusing on, um, you know, VC funding or allocation of supply to VCs, um, foundation um, funds, the diversification of funds in the foundation, team distribution, right? Like not having the entire team in the US or whatever. Um, I think we'll start seeing a lot of those metrics maybe becoming a factor in, in protocols soon. And that's what I was going to say. I think a lot of people tend to think in extremes of like this or that, where, you know, tops and bottoms of cycles, but you probably see a, you know, a midpoint somewhere of, of firms being like, okay, there's a lot of people wanting certain features and not wanting other features. They want us to do certain things and in the yeah. firms that will, will kind of bend to the will of, of the market really. Uh, yeah, we'll I think that's like that's favorite. that's what would be the differentiator between like the sushi swap and the Uniswap, right? It's the same code base for the most part and the same function, um, but you know maybe the qualitative aspects of those protocols are what people like long term. You see that with banks too. There's different yeah. banks that be like doing all the ESG stuff. Where they're like, all right, every, banks are banks, but we do like one thing: we plant trees when you buy gas. So if you like that, come to us. Yeah, absolutely. Um. Two books you like and two websites you like. Ooh, books. Um, top two books. Oh, damn, there's, that's <laughs> tough. There's, I got three. All right, here's two. The Sovereign Individual. Um, that one was recommended to me when I first started at Grayscale by, by the guy who hired me, Phil. Um, probably one of the smartest guys I've ever met. Um, that book was great. Um, it was written in like the 90s, so very forward-looking, but almost spot on with this whole crypto revolution. Um, and then the other book I like is the third industrial revolution, um, the one by Jeremy Rifkin. I think that one's really good. Kind of talks about how, um, how like, you know, the 1600s or whatever was industrialized by steam and, and railroads. And then we went to cars and coal. And now we're at this, this inflection point of, you know, we're moving on to the next one, um, you know, solar renewables and uh, who knows, right? So, I do think I've I've seen End of Work as well from him, which is yeah, uh, yeah. I he's he's a super smart guy. I really like his stuff. There's a there's a shorter pod or like TED Talk version of the book too on YouTube somewhere. But um, two websites you would suggest to someone to research crypto or that, or modes of thought, really. Yeah. Um, and websites to help that thought process. I'm trying to think of some that aren't paywalled. Um, paywalled too. 
Hey, well, I really like Delphi Digital. Delphi, Delphi is probably like top tier research in this space. Um, they're really good. Um, websites, honestly, I got to plug the, the plain text capital website. Um, Phil, that's his new fund. Their his their they their blog section really really good content like really good newsletters really good end of your commentary especially for people that are kind of new in the space just like curious like what what do I what do I look into what trends what even happened um, honestly probably one of the best newsletters out there sick sir uh, appreciate your time I really enjoyed it personally same yeah appreciate <laughs> you guys having me this was fun sorry for the delay. All good. You got a, a a parting sentence for for anybody listening? Um. Oh man, a lot of pressure. Um, <laughs> parting a parting sentence for your past self, perhaps. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. Um. You know, I would just say like, have fun, chase your curiosity, and don't take things too seriously. Sure. Um. You know, I, I, I'm not, I, I'm not necessarily one of these people, but my friend said something really, really, really interesting to me one day. He was like, um, this was like related to investing. Um, he was like, you know, I've been broke before. I don't care if I'm broke again, I can get back here. Right. And I love that mentality. I'm, I'm a little too, little, little, little too risk averse to feel that way. But I, I love that because you got to take risks to go big and you gotta, you gotta take, you know, leap of faith and, um, I think that's just a great mentality to have in life, right? Like go big or go home and if you fail. That's okay. So wonderful. Matt, Maxima, where can they find you? If you want to be found, uh, Twitter, Matt Maxima one, pretty, pretty simple. I got a little penguin, penguin, I, uh, profile pic. So <laughs> that's me. awesome. Awesome, sir. Appreciate it again. Yeah. Thanks guys. It's good. It was good talking to you. Thank you. Thank you. Have a good one. You too.